Well, good morning, church. If we haven't met before, I'm Dan Swartz. I'm the pastor of youth and young adults here at ECC. And if you've tuned in over the past month, you know that we've been walking through the book of Exodus. And this week, we come to one of the most pivotal and powerful moments of the book and a key text for the nation of Israel and even the story of Jesus himself. So if you're following along at home, I invite you to take your Bible and open to Exodus chapter 11 as we launch in to the story of Passover. You see, Exodus 11 through 13 is this epic conclusion to the plagues of Egypt that Chris brought us through last week. Not only do we find ourselves amidst this epic and powerful and effective display of God's power in the 10th plague, but we're given a celebration that's part of Israel's history and celebrated by this people group to this very day. You know, for a long time, I thought of this thing called Passover a lot like I think about uh, Easter. And you know, Easter morning, we get dressed up for church prom in our Sunday best, and we go to this service, then we come back and eat Easter dinner, and we do something for the kids like Easter eggs or candy, and I pictured Passover must be something like that. But it wasn't until I went to Israel for a semester and got to see some of the ways that they celebrate events like Passover that my perspective changed. While I wasn't fortunate enough to be in the country for Passover itself, I got to see a similar holiday known as Yom Kippur. Did you know that during Yom Kippur, the entire city of Jerusalem just like shuts down? I walked the streets around old Jerusalem where there's the city walls that were there when the city uh, was built and broken down and built again. And normally these walls and these streets are just packed with tourists and shops and people. And yet on this day, it was like a ghost town. The whole city shuts down, stores aren't open, people aren't there. Instead, they participate in this event where we recognize that God offers forgiveness to his people and we seek forgiveness from one another. There's something powerful going on that moves that many people from a place like Jerusalem into their homes. And there's something powerful in participating in the story of God, which is what Passover invites us to do. Well, much like Yom Kippur, Passover isn't just a day that we celebrate uh, on the day. It's not a holiday that just sneaks up on us. It's something that changes the way you live on that day, on the days leading up to it, and on the days afterward. It's a day where we remember and celebrate something that changed more than a moment, but all of Israelite history and even our own. And so let's jump in here to Exodus chapter 11 and see this for ourselves. As we saw over and over during the first nine plagues, the scene begins with Moses before Pharaoh. God had made it clear to Moses that the plague of darkness before this wasn't gonna be enough but that this next plague would be. In chapter 11, verse one, he says this, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. God makes clear that none of this was an empty show. This wasn't a test of strength between God and the Egyptian gods or Pharaoh. God was always in complete control and was always going to win. And he proves that by announcing the very moment that Pharaoh's gonna give in. He says, after this plague, it's gonna be done. Not only this, but God fulfills his promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, that he's gonna take his people out of slavery after 400 years, and they're going to leave with great wealth. If you look at Genesis 15, four, it says, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. 
Well, if you look at the verse here in verse two and three of 11, it says similarly, tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officers and by the people. And so God is using the Passover, using this 10th plague to bring to culmination this promise he made to Abraham that his descendants would leave slavery with great wealth and move toward the promised land he's giving them. Well, what is it that leads to everyone seeing Moses as this great man and, and them being willing to give articles of silver and gold to the Hebrew slaves who asked for it? Let's take a look. If we continue reading, it says, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill, and the firstborn son of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than any there has ever been or will ever be again. The power of Passover is seen in the scope of this plague. God makes clear the cost of injustice, the cost of enslaving his people and of rejecting his power and rule. The cost is death. Where Pharaoh originally ordered back at the beginning of the book of Exodus that Hebrew babies would be thrown into the Nile to control this slave population. Now God himself is saying what Pharaoh ordered would happen to Israel will happen to the entire land of Egypt. If I'm honest, this is hard. This is a difficult part for me. God is a God of justice and his justice is absolute. Yet this is a justice that we as people that a human court could never carry out. As people, we cannot pay the price of justice with the lives of others. Passover teaches us, however, that God oversees the scales of justice and he finds humankind wanting. He is justified in sending a plague over Egypt, even if we're uncomfortable with it. Romans chapter one teaches us that the wrath of God is being poured out or revealed against the injustice of humankind. When God looks down at a sinful Egypt, he holds all of Egypt accountable. And when God sees injustice in our world, he holds our world accountable. When God sees injustice in the world, he holds the world accountable. If we're reminded of anything during this season of protests, this season of brutality and of sickness and of political bickering, it's that we are all contributing to the brokenness that we find in the world. We are all responsible for a portion of the injustice we find. And we are all just as accountable as the Egyptians. And yet the amazing thing about this plague and about the story of Passover is that it's not all of Egypt that is affected. The amazing thing about this plague is while there's to be mourning in Egypt like no other time in history, among God's people, there will be none. If we continue to look at this passage in verse six, it says that there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than any there has ever been or will ever be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. During the plagues of flies and of dying livestock and of hail, God made a distinction clearly between Israel and Egypt. In the land of Goshen where the Israelites were living, there were no flies, there was no hail that fell, the livestock didn't die. 
Well, once again, God draws this distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, but this time there's a requirement. If we continue reading in chapter 12, it says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and on sides of the doorframe and will pass over the doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. The distinction between those who would receive the plague and destruction and those who would be passed over was blood. If their doorframe was covered in blood, in the blood of the lamb, they would be spared. Why this plague? Why is there a sudden requirement now? What is different about what God is doing here than what he has done in the past nine plagues? Well, time and time again, scripture teaches us that the wages of sin is death. In this plague, God reminds us that our contribution to injustice is deserving of death. The only way out for anyone, whether Egyptian or Israelite, or even for Americans, is to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Are you starting to see a connection between this 10th plague, between this story of Passover and the person in the story of Jesus? And so let us be reminded that scripture teaches us time and time again that the wages of sin is death and something needs to cover those wages. Something needs to pay that price. And so if we continue to look at the story in Exodus 11 through 13, it happens just as God says that it will. The whole land sees the firstborn son of every house die unless the doorframe is covered by the blood of a perfect and spotless lamb. The houses with entryways covered by this blood were passed over and were shown mercy. In response to this final display of power by God, Pharaoh relents and sends Moses and the Israelites into the wilderness. And they hurry toward their destination, not even taking time to break bread, but asking the Egyptians for the silver and gold they would take with them and putting unleavened bread on their shoulders as they leave. This is the event that Passover celebrates and remembers. Well, if I'm honest with you again, there's so much in chapters 11 through 13 that we haven't covered. I told Pastor Chris as I was preparing this sermon that I could do a whole sermon series on Passover and still probably not cover all of the depth that there is here. There's whole sections of Exodus 11 through 13 that cover uh, rules and specifications for choosing the lamb and caring for it, clearing the house of all yeast, uh, for eating the Passover meal dressed and ready to go. These could each be sermons on their own. In fact, I wrote a draft of this sermon that had a lot of that tied in. But as I processed and, and rewrote, the more I wrote, the more I realized that as we get lost in all the details, and as we go down these tangents of different ideas and sermons and takeaways, we lose the power and the tension and the wonder of Passover. You know, we are really good at rushing past things. If the whole world shutting down for COVID-19 didn't teach you this, I'm not sure how, but I certainly learned that I'm much better at racing by than I am at stopping. I'm a lot better at getting distracted than sitting in reflection and realization and remembrance. 
Remember the story I shared at the beginning about Yom Kippur? I remember myself walking through those streets while everyone else is at home, thinking about what God has done for them, considering the mercy of God and forgiving their sins and seeking reconciliation with their brothers and sisters. And yet here I am distracting myself with the sights of a ghost town rather than engaging in the moment God has prepared for me to be in. Maybe it's the American in me, maybe it's that I was born and raised in New Jersey and that has lasting effects, or maybe this is just who I am. But I think a lot of us struggle to sit in the tensions of scripture and faith. And I wonder what happens if we never sit in that tension. If we never stop walking on Yom Kippur or on Passover or on Easter or on Sunday morning. What if we never sit and say, what is God saying and doing in me and how should this change my life? What happens if we neglect the process of remembering the times the Lord showed up and poured out mercy and justice or the times that he lifted up the downtrodden or the times that he did this for you and me? I wonder how many Pharisees obeyed the letter of the law when it came to practicing Passover and choosing the perfect lamb for their meal, yet missed it when the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, stood in front of them. Jesus loved the commands of the Old Testament. He loved the law. He says he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Passover is beautiful because it was never meant to be the end. It was meant to point to something bigger. It was a reminder of who God is, what he does, and what he calls us to do. That's what I love about God's laws and his commands all over scripture. We don't do them just because God says so. God didn't just pick ambiguous things. Instead, they lead us somewhere. Consider Passover. Do you think if the Israelites truly practiced Passover, it wouldn't change them? If we skip forward to Exodus chapter 13, verse two, at the very end of what happens here, we have Moses talking to the people and reminding them that this is a day to remember forever, that the Lord is the one who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. And yet, if, if you take a simple cross-reference, you see that this idea is repeated 32 more times, almost word for word. That means at least 30 times God has to say, hey, remember when I brought you out of slavery? Do you remember that you were slaves in Egypt? And then he tells them after almost all of these, so don't do that to other people. Don't oppress the foreigner. Don't oppress the slave. Care for the orphan and the widow and those who are powerless. Give them justice. God continues to bring his people back to this moment and to remind them to carry out justice with their freedom to remind them that he will give justice that only he can give, but they are to give justice as they can as well. Passover is about remembering what God has done and who he is. Passover is about worshiping God and changing our lives in response. And if you didn't catch it, if I've failed to articulate it, if this sermon has been a gobbledygook of words, then let me say it clearly. Passover points to Jesus. Passover points to Jesus. While the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, all of us are slaves to sin. Look what 2020 has brought us. Look at the emotions that have arisen in you in response to the events and the actions of this year. If you can't find anything sinful in what you've said, in what you've done, in what you've felt during this season, 
I think you might need to relook at that. You might be lying to yourself. Because as I said earlier, we are all responsible for a portion of the injustice in our world. We all deserve God's judgment. We all deserve the destroyer to visit our house in response. Yet just like in Egypt, God offers a way out. God says that a perfect sacrifice can take our place. God says that a firstborn son can redeem all of us. The debt of sin must be paid, but God has said, I am willing to take it myself. The debt of sin must be paid, but God is willing to pay it himself. And so Jesus becomes the Passover lamb to save us from the debt of our injustice. From the destruction we are due, Jesus comes and saves the day. As he explained to his disciples on a Passover night several thousand years ago, his body would be broken for us, his blood would be shed for us, and by his wounds we may be healed. You know, many of us have already trusted in the blood of Christ. We've accepted that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves from our bondage to sin. We have looked to the cross, to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and bowed ourselves to his will and to his ways. If you've never asked for the forgiveness of your sins from God, if you've never put your hope in the sacrifice of Jesus, I invite you not to wait, but after this sermon, at the end, you pray a prayer with me and ask that of God. Join me in prayer in just a few minutes. And if you have prayed this before, if you have trusted in Jesus already, ask yourself these questions. Can people point to areas of your life and see how you act in response to God's justice and God's mercy? Do you act with justice and mercy, especially when you get criticism in return? Do you pass on the stories of God's justice and mercy to your friends and to your children? As the youth pastor and young adult pastor here at Emmanuel, this is especially important to me. If we do not pass on the justice of God and what he has done, if we do not sit in Passover and give it to our children, we are robbing them of a power in the church and of a reason to pursue the truth in Jesus. Do you fight to provide justice and mercy to those around you as an ambassador of the kingdom of God, of one who is building his kingdom? I leave you with this final question for us all to consider. Can you celebrate? Can you remember that God has passed over you in judgment because of the blood of the lamb? You know, if Passover was an afterthought for the Israelites, if, if a person failed to practice this, if there was any yeast in his house, if he picked a lamb that wasn't perfect, if he didn't follow these rules, it says he would be cut off from his people. If Christ's sacrifice in our lives becomes an afterthought, we risk putting ourselves in the same dangerous territory. And that's not a place I want to find myself. Let us all and always remember and celebrate God's saving action through lives of justice and mercy, through words and through actions all to the glory of God. When we come up upon Easter, upon Sunday mornings, upon Lent and upon Christmas, may they not pass us by, but may we sit, remember, and celebrate that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are our God. I deserved destruction. I deserved punishment. I have not lived up to the perfection that you deserve. 
I have not loved you with my whole heart in thought, in word, or in deed. Yet because of your rich mercy and the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ, you can have mercy on me. God, I confess that I am a sinner. I can't save myself. I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. God, I trust in this affirmation and I live a life in response to what it means and I know that if I do these things, I will be saved. So God, for those of us who have prayed this prayer with me and for those of us who have prayed it in the past, but today they seek to reaffirm its power in their lives, Lord, we offer everything we have to you. God, take our gifts, our talents, our time, our money, and our very lives. God, may you be glorified and may you use them as you will. God, use them so that more may know the message of your salvation, so that more may celebrate that you have passed over us in mercy. May you lead us to a time when true justice is all that we know and when you reign among us. In the name and the power of the blood of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.